0: Hello, I'm Andrew Skipper. I'm head of the Africa practice at Hogan Lovells and have a wide ranging African experience from business to art and culture. I'm co-vice chair of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art and recently became co-chair of the UK government's Africa Investors Group. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors, people who are deeply committed to building the continent They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous opportunities. Today, I turn to a business leader who has extensive global experience in the oil and gas industry, having worked and set up operations in countries including Tanzania, Mozambique, Australia, Russia, Colombia, Nicaragua, Suriname, and now Nigeria, where he is vice president and managing director for Equinor Nigeria. Heidi Melkovic is a good friend who has a passion for Africa and the energy sector, and with the price of oil around forty dollars, new legislation finally coming into play in Nigeria, a world focusing on sustainability and SDGs, and an African Union looking for a new paradigm. This is a perfect time to talk. So, welcome, Heidi. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's a great pleasure to talk to you too. Yeah. So since we last met, and I think it was in an art exhibition in Lagos with um, various glitterati from Nollywood, so much <laughs> has changed. I know you're now back in Lagos after an extended spell contemplating the future in the fields of Norway. How has that break changed your view of Africa, Nigeria and the oil and gas sector if at all? And after all that travel over the last few years, has that made you keen to travel more or maybe slow down a little?
1: Yeah, no, that's correct. I spent a few months um, in Norway just after kind of COVID hit the global uh, news site. So basically from February to to July, I was in, in the fjords of Norway. And uh, I think my first reflection really um, is around the fact that 2020 is the year when I realized that I really do not know much at all. So I've, I think I've been humbled continuously throughout this year and uh, I've come to realize I have a lot to learn. So Socrates was right, then. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it truly is. Uh, it's been a remarkable year, and, and I've been truly humbled by it. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe to start off with saying, you know, I think COVID, to me, is, is a bit of a, the great equalizer. Mm. Uh, you know, people around the globe has come to realize that, you know, the freedoms and the future that we took, uh, certainly in the West, I, I suppose, for some, something as granted, has been, has been shaken. And um, it's come, you know, to many, I think, to realize the importance of family and, and friends, but also about good preparation and good governance. So, so, so that's kind of the overarching theme that I see, let's say, globally. And then, you know, to Africa, and, and let's say in the situation we're in, you know, I, I think many people in, say, April were predicting, you know, in a very, let's say, almost epic uh, proportions of, of the were. challenges yeah. that Africa was looking at. And, uh, you know, a, a doctor of my, a friend of mine, doctor uh, within our corporation, he, we were talking and, and we were looking at the rates and we're saying, look, these are very good rates. And he said, look, I believe that in Nigeria alone, there will be more people, medical doctors, et cetera, With experience in dealing with infectious diseases on a practical level than probably in all of Europe combined. There is something about the resilience and the actual knowledge on the ground in Africa that, that we potentially overlooked that I think has come a bit to the forefront. You know, and me being back in Lagos now, I certainly see, you know, the, the measures taken here in many ways are are quite sound and, 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 you know, I would say, I felt safer in Lagos Airport from a COVID point of view than I did traveling out of Europe to to get to Lagos. So you know the one thing that I would say probably has taken everyone by storm is how Africa and Nigeria had to digitalize overnight, uh, you know, and and then done so really well. Now we have, you know, the same meetings that we rather in the past would travel to, and we would prepare for, you know, days potentially is now done on, on teams or, or other video conferencing, uh, apps. So that has really, really changed. And then you could say nothing has really stopped. So, you know, in the seven months that we've been out, uh, you know, 5 million new Nigerians have been born and that's the same amount of, uh, of new babies in Nigeria as in all of the EU t- combined, so so the market potential and the you know demographic challenges that are that was present before COVID is certainly not waning uh, uh, now either. So so that's an you might know, say an important and an interesting uh, point as well. Yeah. And then finally, you know, when it comes to travel, it's a good question you bring there. I I believe that obviously there will be in one way less traveling, but at the same time the digitalization and the, let's say, acceptance for doing it the digital way opens up you know, new ways of, of managing. It may opens up new ways of dispersing leadership. It might be we'll see less traveling, but we might have a more global mindset.
0: I've heard a lot of people talk about the dispersal of leadership, moving away from the dirigist center, as it were. Is that really going to happen? Or do you just think digitalization is dehumanizing
1: people so they never meet? No, and and so so I think Andrew, I think you're spot on there. I think there is there is something about you know the the opportunity set to or the opportunity to have more dispersed leadership doesn't necessarily mean less pra, uh, let's say presence. Yeah. So 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 I believe that you know, and and we'll see how this pans out. But for example, practically, you know, I'm in Lagos now, and it might be that I will over time, let's say that. Time things were you know uh, cooling down a bit, then we could actually travel around. You could see potentially Africa being a region that was dealing more with itself, uh, in turn, let's say within the organization. But at the same time, you would have leaders coming in from outside who would potentially have a more global remit that previously were you know very focused on maybe one region for the obvious practical kind of logistical reasons that it's it's really difficult to cover a large uh, part of the world, which now potentially uh, is done easier. But that does, of course, as you kind of say, does necessitate the ability to give the responsibility and accountability down in the ranks. So so that has to still happen. It's not all about digitalization. It has to also be about uh, giving giving people the room to to deliver.
0: I mean, it's pretty to use the word epic times in Nigeria, because after decades of waiting, Nigeria finally introducing its new petrol, Petroleum Industry Act. But what in business terms are the key opportunities do you think this presents? And what are potential areas of challenge,
1: especially for a global business like yours? First of all, I think this Petroleum Industry Bill, so it's yep. called PIB for short, yes. uh, yep. and that's how we use it, the name here, so, so I'll go with yep. that acronym. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's... First of all, it's been you know nearly 20 years in the waiting, right? So so now it's here. I would say you could imagine this is a very comprehensive bill. So it covers a lot of different areas. So so the the you know the the real details here will will is something we need to really understand together as an industry and as you know lawmakers and as a host community host government. But but on the overall. Energy companies, they thrive on predictable and stable frameworks. And the fact that you now have a, a pathway to that is a very good step in the right direction. This is something we would look at everywhere in the world, right, for those frameworks. And, and, and you would be surprised, I think, many would be, to which degree companies such as ourselves focus on how predictable and how stable are the frameworks. And that is kind of a competitive advantage in itself. So with that in mind, the fact that the bill seems to be very well thought through and it seems to be done for the long haul, i.e. it's going to be there for, for you know, let's say the next many decades, that in itself is a very good sign that this could provide the, the, the necessary stability for Nigeria to attract investments. Then. Obviously, there are challenges, but there are also opportunities. Nigeria has struggled over many years to attract the, the, you know, its potential in the oil and gas sector is larger than the capital that it attracts. And that's down to uh, one part of it has been the fact that there hasn't been, a, you know, there's always been talk of a PIB, but it hasn't happened. But the second part to it is, the lack of let's say competitiveness in its current form how you know how nigeria now attracts investments so now the very interesting details on that uh, in the pib will be to understand how does this and we call it you know in the industry it's called government take it's you know how does the government take look like when you model this against all other in, uh, you know let's say large and interesting uh, oil and gas regions around the world
0: and one of the areas where there's often opportunities, but also challenges. I guess as in the partnership between local and global companies. You know, where is it now, and
1: how do you think that's going to develop? I, I try to interact, and we as a company, yeah. you know, have a very open attitude to interacting with both, you know, the majors, uh, you know, the international oil companies, as well as with the local Nigerian entities. There are there are many of them, right? And some of them are very well funded, and some of them are, let's say, you know, more in a in a say starting phase. One. Data point here is that, you know, there was just recently there was a marginal bid round. You know, marginal yes. is, is taken by can be, ta- you know, can be understood different ways. But what it is is in Nigeria, it's really vintage uh, licenses where there has potentially been production and now is looking for, you know, kind of the second licensing round on the same licenses. You know, that bid round attracted 500 different local companies mm-hmm. to apply. Yeah. Nigeria in particular. Has a very thriving and large uh, local entity uh, kind of underforest of, of, uh, of various companies. So going forward, and especially when you have a PIB as well, I think the importance of partnerships and the importance and let's say the, the, the common what both sides can bring to the table yeah. will necessitate much more and closer relationships between the large international companies. And the local Nigerian companies. I mean, so you're
0: you're optimistic about that?
1: (laughs) Yes, I I mean, I see some of the local companies are you know doing it, and I'm talking to suppliers, you know, on that note, uh, you know, understanding what they see, and they're saying, you know, look, there are international, there are local companies here doing it absolutely to the international company standard. And, and that means, you know, both in terms of operations, in terms of how they, you know, how they uh, hire, how they, you know, how they think about long term and their strategy. And also it attracts a lot of international capital. So really there's a, there's an interesting symbiosis here where I've personally, and I think certainly many would agree with me. There is a very positive uh, development where, where Nigeria will take a stronger lead in terms of or Nigerians, I would say, rather, take a stronger lead in developing the industry. And that's not in competition with the, uh, in the international companies. It's much more in a symbiosis, as I, as yeah. I alluded to.
0: And with the focus on SGDs, uh, SDGs rather, most, most, majors, most majors, including yourselves, talking about diversification, increased focus on renewables. But, um, but in a country like Nigeria, where the majority of tax revenue still comes from oil, how do you see this panning out in the short and long term? And, and what sort of balance do you think there needs to be there? And, and, and what, are your,
1: what are Equinor's plans to deliver against those goals? Very good question, Andrew, because I think, let me start a little bit more global than just Nigeria on this one, if I may. I mean, first of all, we changed our name from you know, Statoil to, to Equinor, and, and it was very much signaling that we wanted to become a broad energy company. So, so that was done a few years ago, and and I think you know the the ex Nigerian uh, oil minister uh, Minister Kachuku, you know, in a in a conference where we were given a prize, stated as I was walking up to the stage, he said Equinor, the, the company that is so environmentally focused that they changed their names to Equinor, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so you know, so, so so I think there is certainly a recognition also. In, in the sense, of the wider industry that that you know Equinor is very much about the energy transition, but that we need to balance the continued uh, looking for eff- efficient and good ways of operating oil and gas uh, assets with a broadening of our our um, let's say portfolio in terms of uh, opportunities. And one thing is, for example, you know companies talk about CCS, uh, carbon storage, uh, carbon capture and storage. You know, we, we've been, as a company, storing and injecting CO2 on our fields in Norway for, for now more than 20 years. Mm. And obviously, we're continuing to develop that. We, are, we just announced a large project, which is called Longboat, which is a project name. And uh, it's, it's a project where you basically create a value chain to take CO2 from industrial processes and bring it out and store it in, in the reservoirs uh, offshore. So that's something we're working on. We just announced yesterday, together with a number of other companies, the um, Humber project in north of England, where we're looking at net zero uh, for, you know, producing hydrogen as a way to replace gas in the industrial processes there. Mm. And then, of course, we also have the world's uh, largest and first floating windmill park, high wind in in outside of Scotland. And we have now developing a project where we're doing floating uh, where we're doing a wind park, floating wind park to power offshore platforms. So, so we're doing all of these large projects that are in the forefront of technology development within the renewable sector.
0: And how does that work in Africa?
1: Yeah. No, like, exactly. The big issue is power. So, exactly, exactly. But, 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 but also one more thing, Andrew, if I may. On that is that, you know, SDGs is also about, you know, human rights. It's about making sure we have as little emissions as possible from our operations. And it's about, you know, ensuring that the the decisions we take today uh, are, you know, for a sustainable future for whichever country we're in, in the long run. So when it comes to Nigeria, what we do focus on here first and foremost, and I'll come to why that is is we're looking at, of course, making sure that human rights are followed in our supply chain and, of course, in our operations. It's about ensuring that we have minimum emissions from our operations uh, offshore and and elsewhere. But then uh, one thing that is key to getting into, let's say, the more renewable side of the business in a country like Nigeria is that you need the framework you need the, the conditions for being able to invest in, for example, solar or wind, uh, you know, solar being more relevant for, for Nigeria. And and so that is kind of, you know, still immature. And the reason why it's immature is that you need the government of the host co- country to be kind of setting the, the scene there in terms of what we want to do. And that's why, for example, the UK has been so successful in attracting investments because they're setting the, the framework for it. but. One one project we are particularly looking for in Nigeria is about developing natural gas. We have a large uh, natural gas uh, discovery in 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 Nigeria, and what we are focusing on there is finding ways to do reliable supplies of natural gas to Nigeria, to onshore Nigeria from offshore, and then to you know the business model there is to use that for electricity generation in a way where you know you you of course. Uh, find ways to do it in an efficient manner with lowest emissions possible but obviously at the same time you industrialize uh, and you help on industrializing uh, Nigeria uh, you know so because obviously as you you're alluding to there is need for more electricity generation capacity in Nigeria to just meet the growing demand uh, from from the average nigerian
0: you you talked about responsibility on community and i think how you do quite a lot on on, on that don't you how, how do you fulfill that commitment you say You know, it's it's a great commitment, but in practical terms, do you actually fulfill that commitment to the communities you work in?
1: Yeah, no, uh, let me take Nigeria as an example on that. And uh, there, because Nigeria is is in a way, you know, very developed. So in, in a sense of how they do this, because they've had the oil and gas industry for a long time, the offshore operations, they are seen from a Nigerian perspective as having all of Nigeria as its host community. Mm. So, so that means, and that was, that was the definition up until the PIB. So I'll, I'll get into that. So that means that we are working on, together with the Nigerian authorities, on defining the areas within the whole of Nigeria where the, the needs are, you know, let's say the highest and where it's practical that it's the, let's say the, the, f- the funds and the support from the, from, let's say, Equinor as an example, in, in, in spending kind of, you know, Resources and, and, and focus on that area or that type of project. So, so that how that normally works is it's a dialogue and a, and a good screening together with the Nigerian authorities. Then you find an area, you find a host community and let's say a a group within that host community. And then you work with, uh, you know, third parties who are experts within that field to, to go in and implement according to what we find as a, let's say mutually agreeable uh, way forward. Uh, and that is also how we work through our operator uh, Chevron on, for example, AlbaMi. you know, that can be various parts of the country. And what we over time try to do is to cover in principle, all of Nigeria, you know, in, in terms of the regions and the, and the, and the let's say geopolitical areas, as they're called in, in Nigerian. Now in the PIB, what's going to be interesting is that in the PIB suggestion, there will be a specific host community assigned to the various operator operators depending on where you are based and then you will set up a governance structure uh, directly with those host communities with a basically an external board that's the that's what is at least in the in the in the PIB at the moment and then that will be a way of securing both the governance side of things and also the implementation of projects let's say locally in in, in host community number one or or number two as it were yeah. So that's going to change now, uh, going forward. Okay. If the so PIB that's, is
0: uh, that's that's uh, an interesting development to watch. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: I mean, still stepping
0: stepping back a bit. I mean, you've been in, you've been on, uh, you've been to a lot of places, but a lot of places in Africa. And um, with COVID, the African Union has grandiloquently demanded a new paradigm for Africa, adding value on the continent, more Africa trade. But at the same time, we've got shut shut borders. Terrible sovereign debt, many in poverty. And what's your overview uh, across the sectors, really, about, as well as the specific oil and gas sector, about the future in, in the context of relative confidence coming out, saying we've got to change things in Africa and be more African, adding value,
1: and the reality of COVID? First of all, what we see on the ground right is that there are some very interesting steps being taken, Nigeria as an example, with deregulation. So, for example, there is deregulation of the subsidized gasoline prices in in the country. That will that will, of course, be negative to the to the consumer, but it will, you know, help on the state finances, and it also will help on. Having spending those same funds, maybe for let's say more efficient use for for social projects, etc. Yeah. At the same time, there is a deregulation or a re-regulation of uh, of electricity prices, meaning that electricity will now become more expensive, but that of course that will also in a way find that will be a way to fund the let's say infrastructure gap within the infrastructure generate or the, within the electricity generation uh, capacity of, of Nigeria. And the PIB is another example of, of, of finding ways to, to regulate or deregulate, depending on how you see it, to kind of attract more investments. And just to add, you know, it, it's important to note that, you know, for the average Nigerian, for the average African, for the average person, probably worldwide, life has become tougher uh, during the last seven, eight months. And at the same time, you see that, for example, the Nigerian Stock Exchange is the best performing stock exchange this year, according to Bloomberg, <laughs> So you have some of these, and that's maybe back to what I said in the beginning, that it's, you know, I realized I, I really do not understand as much as I thought I understood in the past, that, that, that I think what you're seeing is in one way, uh, you know, uh, there is an underlining uh, belief that the future will be better uh, for Africa and Nigeria being an example of that. And, and you see, for example, also this, uh, you know, there's talk of, a, of, in, of introducing a a African currency, West African currency. There's talk of a free trade agreement that is, you know, being ratified as we kind of speak. Of course, COVID came and, and, and put a bit of a damper on that. But a free trade agreement also for for Africa and West Africa in particular. Again, so so there are these like regional integrations that are happening. There are these deregulations that are needed that are happening. But obviously, uh, it it has. Potentially, quite a large human cost to it, you know, with 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 the COVID on top of everything, for the for let's say the average person, Nigerian and African governments have kind of a dilemma or a balance to keep. It's between basically finding ways to deregulate and to modernize at the same time, having to make sure they balance that with not going too far too fast for the average uh, yeah. person in the no, country.
0: That's interesting. I mean, I think actually you've answered. Uh, you've started at least to answer my final question, which is that we've met quite a lot of times in Lagos. And I know you love it like I do, but, but what makes you stay in Lagos? Yeah.
1: Look, um, I, when I landed after many months away, um, for you know, six, seven months away, and I, I called my wife who was back in Norway, she was taking a later flight. And I said, you know, it felt like coming home. And I've stayed four years in in, in Nigeria prior to that and i think it's something to first of all obviously it's the energy and it's this this sense of resilience that just every nigerian has right it's this way of of overcoming adversity and and challenge that it, that is yes. something i think we really have to i think we who are not from here can learn a lot from that uh, as as people and as as let's say you know, we, we'll go on in life, uh, maybe in other parts, and and that's something I certainly will take with me wherever I go, and and that makes me want to stay here because I still feel I have a lot to learn about that humbleness and that resilience to to challenge. And then, of course, I mean, you can meet people in all walks of life within one little circle, and and the the diversity in such a group is much greater than you would probably find most other places on the planet. So, so you know, you'll have a CEO from a large manufacturing company is talking to an artist who is, you know, standing there with a, who's, and, and listening to that is a, is a ambassador from a large country who is asking open questions about, you know, uh, X, Y, Z. And even a lawyer occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. And I think, I think that's the, the, the kind of diversity, the real diversity and kind of difference of thought that you can get here on a on a day-to-day basis is another reason
0: that's fantastic heinie so heinie milkwick of equinor thank you very much for being on this a perspective podcast thank you